0: Matthew chapter number 8. And we're going to start in verse number 5. And the Bible says, And when he had entered, Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority." With soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes. And I say to another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and to the west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the centurion said to Jesus, Go, let it be or, and excuse me and the centurion jesus said go let it be done for you as you have believed and the servant was healed from that very moment now the title of this sermon this morning the entry because there's a time when you are in the boat and you find the place where you're going to dive and you got to get out of the boat and there's two standard types of entry that you do in scuba diving one is called the seated entry and that's where you sit on the edge of the boat you put your hand on your goggles so they don't fall off and you hold your bcd here and you fall off backwards into the water have you all seen that say oh yeah then there's the other kind of entry when you walk to the edge of the boat and you simply do the standing or step-off entry, and that's where you put your hands over your goggles like this so you don't lose them and you do this, and you just take a big step and you jump off into the water. Well, there's two different types of main entries here that they did, and so we're going to talk about this, and as we begin to talk about this entry, there are both two proper entries that take place when you go to scuba diving, and they'll both bring about the desired results. You get to go to the bottom of the ocean, you get to go scuba diving. And the result is you get to experience a whole other world. Well, I bring this passage of Scripture up in Matthew chapter 8, and I said I also wanted to read Luke chapter number 7. So let's read Luke chapter number 7 right quick. And I know I mentioned 5 earlier, but I was wrong. It's chapter 7. Luke chapter number 7, verse 1 through 10. And it said, After he had finished all these sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And now a centurion who had a servant was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And the centurion heard about Jesus. He sent the elders of the Jews, asking him to come heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, "He who is worthy to have you, he is worthy to have you do this for him, because he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue." And Jesus went with them, for he was not far off from the house. And the centurion sent friends out, saying to him, "Lord." Do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I I did not presume for you to come to me. But just say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, again, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed, he said, said to them, I tell you, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well, And so we're at the same city where Jesus did the healing, where they lowered a man through the roof that we talked about a couple of weeks ago in the message the descent. We're in that same city. The population is the exact same. It's about uh, within the whole city limits. There's about 1,500 people in that actual city, city part. There's probably about 150 or 200 people. Remember the small houses that we talked about where Jesus would have done his ministry? Well, Jesus is walking back into this same city. This is shortly after he did the Sermon on the Mount. And the, 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 the account of the centurion comes to him. And now, as we begin this message, we talked about the two different types of, of entries a second ago. Well, did you notice the two differences in the scriptures that we just read? The first scripture in Matthew, we began to read, and it says, The centurion himself came to Jesus and said, Come and heal my servant. It goes on to say, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Jesus marveled, the servant was healed. The account in Luke said that the centurion went to the elders, and the elders went to Jesus. And the elders said, Jesus, he is not worthy to have you come under his roof. Or or Jesus, this man is worthy for you to come to him because he did all these great things. He built the great synagogues of the area. Then as Jesus approached the house, the centurion, the Bible says, sent out um, servants or friends to him. To say, Jesus, he is not worthy to have you come under his roof. He, he is a man under authority. And he says, go to one goes, and one comes, and he comes. And so he comes all back to these things. And so the servant ended up being healed, and Jesus marveled at his faith. Well, the reason I, I entitled this um, scripture, the, the title of this message, the entry, and we did the two different types of entry because there are clearly, this is the same passage, but there are two different accounts of what happened here. Do, do we all catch this? Some of you guys are like, oh, I never caught that before in my life. <laughs> well, as we begin to study this, the first thing I want us to do is to reconcile these accounts. Is to reconcile these accounts because as we reconcile these accounts, we're going to find this is the same thing going on at the same place at the same time, and we're going to get on the same page before we go underwater. Because the main thing about going on a scuba diving trip is you've got to be on the same page of the people you're diving with because if you're not, somebody can drown. We don't want anybody to drown in here today. And the one thing we don't want is people leaving here confused, saying, well, I thought the Bible is perfect. It's inerrant. It, 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 is, it is awesome. It's God-breathed. It is. It is all those things. And I'm going to prove it to you. That's why before we even start, we're going to reconcile these two accounts, these two scriptures. So as we begin to reconcile these accounts, verse 1 says Jesus had finished all these things, and the the, the elders came to him. And then as the elders approached him, they began to, they began to talk and When you reconcile, you can reconcile these accounts by the very first thing you realize is who these accounts are written to. When you look at Luke, Luke is written to the Greek people, okay? The Greeks are a very learned people, very intelligent people. If you want to actually know who Luke is written to, Luke is written to not everybody. Luke is written to one specific person. It's written to a man named Theopolis. A very cultured Greek, a very well-off to do Greek, a Greek who is very interested in learning about who this Jesus was, because Luke wrote the account of Luke after Jesus was died and crucified and resurrected. He wrote it later, not jotting this down as Jesus is going. Okay? So now that the Christianity is spreading all throughout the world, Theopolis, a the cultured Greek, is wanting to know what's going on. When you read much of Luke, Luke is a physician. So and if you are a physician, you are very detailed in what you do. Do I have anybody in the medical profession here? Just hold your hand up real high. All right, if you've been in the medical profession, how important is it, Miss Gamble, to be detailed in what you do? Very important. If you are uh, in the Gospel of Matthew and you're reading the Gospel of Matthew, you'll realize Matthew's not near as precise as Luke in a lot of areas. It's not, well... Matthew is written to the Jewish people. If you read Matthew, you'll read the words kingdom or kingdom of heaven 30 something times for kingdom and I believe it's 32 times for kingdom of heaven throughout the gospel of Matthew. So where Luke is very precise and very uh, particular about how he's writing and who he's writing to, Matthew is very generic a lot of times. Why would that be? You don't have to explain a lot of culture to a people who are already in the culture. Matthew didn't have to explain a lot of the cultural rituals to the Jewish people. They knew the cultural rituals. Matthew was trying to get across that Jesus is establishing a new kingdom. Luke is trying to get across Jesus is the kingdom, but here's why and how. And I've got to give you all the details throughout the process. It's the exact same thing when you read the Gospel of Matthew. You read the lineage of Jesus. Where does it start? It starts with Abraham. And it goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob all the way down through David and through Solomon and then ends up with who? And Jesus was born. You read the Gospel of Luke, the genealogy is completely different. It starts with Jesus and works its way all the way back to God himself. Which account of the lineage is correct? They're both correct. Listen, I have a lineage through my dad's side. I have a lineage through my mom's side. One records the lineage through his dad's side. One records the lineage through his mom's side. It ends up being the same lineage leading back to the same God. So as we reconcile these accounts in Luke, just because the one says he sent elders to him and then he sent friends to him, the other one says the centurion directly went to him, I want you to realize that these accounts are reconciled as the same account and I'll show you how later in the scripture. I just wanted to get all that stuff out of the way from the beginning so that way we're on the same page moving forward. Everybody say, oh yeah." yeah. Are you ready to be done with seminary? Y'all like pastor, it is 9 a.m., the seminary lessons are good for base groups, (laughs) not till I've had three shots of espresso and we're ready to go this morning and rock this thing out. So let's jump into this account this morning and see what it actually has to say. Let's first talk about a centurion and what a centurion was and who he was, because throughout both scriptures, whether you read Matthew or Luke, the centurion, the verbiage comes out, he says, I understand authority because I too am a man under authority but he also has people under him I say to one go and he goes one come and he comes I say to a servant do this and it gets done and Jesus looked at him and he marveled and said I haven't found such great faith in all of Israel truly this man understood something that nobody was comprehending yet about authority well let's read about who a centurion was back in that time in ancient Rome the centurion meant captain of 100 people everybody say 100 so this centurion was captain over 100 people and as he was captain over 100 people, he was in charge of them, he was in charge of their well-being. And they were, all the ones he was over were foot soldiers in the Roman legion. The centurion, he got to his promotion by being loyal and courageous, being a soldier in the army. And they were working their way up through the ranks. They were noticed for their skill and their courage in battle. And they understood what it took to make an officer. The, the, the centurions were considered the backbone of the Roman army. The centurions were legionnaires, and they were um, clearly noticed because of the special helmet that they wore, and they had an ornate harness on them, and they also carried a short wooden staff that resembled their rank. They worked their way up as ranks um, through all the ranks and became uh, centurions where they were, and they were veterans in the army, and they each had 100 men each, and in a legion, there were 60 groups of 100, so a legion consisted of 6,000 people. And out of all 6,000 people, you had 60 who were in charge, and of the 60 who were in charge, you had three who were of a higher rank, who submitted to the one captain of the legion over them all. So you had the one guy leading three, leading 60, who led 6,000. That's how the process worked. Well, during the time of Augustus, there were 28 groups of the 6,000 people, so this man, out of all the legions that took place, of the 28 legions, there were 60 times 28. I'm not doing that much math this early in the morning. But what you can see, if he had this helmet on and he had this staff, he was a high-ranking person out of the whole um, army of Rome. And he had command over people. And the people did what he said. And, and when he said, one go, he went, and one come, and he comes. And so this man was very high in clout. Uh, a, a centurion soldier got paid 20 to 30 times the amount that a regular foot soldier got paid. So it was a big promotion to go from one of the 100 to one of the 60, okay? So he got paid 20 to 30 times the amount. So this man, this centurion, was not just an amazing man of courage, an amazing man of valor, obviously an amazing leader, he was rich. He was very rich. Because he got paid 20 to 30 times the amount the average foot soldier and the Roman foot soldiers, they kept all the people around them under subject in slavery But there's something a little bit different about this centurion here in Capernaum. Because when the elders went to Jesus, they began to brag on how great this man was to the Jewish people. And that's very ironic for those days. And so now that we have established who the centurion is and where we're going, let's talk about the entries that we're talking about. The first entry I want to talk about this morning is let's talk about the Pharisee entry. The Pharisee entry. And so remember we're talking about entering into the water Think of the water now that you're jumping into as the presence of God. Let's put this on the level that we're talking about. Here's the church. As we begin to put this on the church level, when you enter into the presence of God, we talk about a couple ways to enter into the presence of God. The Bible talks about you will enter His courts with thanksgiving and praise. So there's two ways to enter, with thanksgiving and with praise. As you enter the courts of God with thanksgiving and with praise... That's the entry of every believer. How many of y'all entered God's courts this morning with thanksgiving and praise? I mean, you were just happy when they said to me, let us come to the house of the Lord. I mean, you're smiling. Some of y'all are like, it's early. Jesus understands. He knows my heart. Jesus should just be glad that I'm here, right? That's how a lot of us enter. And it doesn't matter if that service is at 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, the 1 o'clock service, or the 5 o'clock base group service. Most of us enter into church or the presence of God the same way. We enter in at the last minute, hustling and bustling in a bad mood and everything else, and we're just glad to sit down and Mitch just starts singing. And we're not lifting our hands in praise. We're lifting our hands in, oh, I give up. I'm done. I don't know why I fight this battle every week. Right? Well, the Pharisee entry is how most Christians enter in to the presence of God. And I want you to look in Luke chapter number uh, 7, where we're going to pick up in verse 3, and it says, When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent elders to the elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, the elders came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built the synagogue. So this unbeliever built the church. Everybody say, Amen. Oh, yeah, we'll take that. I'm serious. If, if you guys know unbelievers that are rich and they want to give to the church, well, I'm good with that. that. That's what was happening here. So this unbeliever who was very generous gave to the church, and he built their synagogues. Now listen to how the Pharisees enter the presence of Jesus. They walk into the presence of Jesus saying, He is worthy for you to do this for him. He loves our nation, and he built our synagogue. Notice when we talked about the two pro- proper entries, we had the seated entry where you fall back, we had the, the, the step off entry where you jump in. Nowhere in that did I say there was something called the cannonball entry where you run and jump and grab your feet and you splash in the middle, make the biggest splash possible. But most of the time, we enter into the presence of God like that is, oh God, here I am. It's me again. I'm coming into your presence. God, I got a problem. God, I did so good this week. I didn't cuss out my neighbor. They deserved it. My coworker is horrible, but I treated him good. We try to make the splash. When it's Jesus who should be making the splash in our lives instead of us trying to make the splash in Jesus' life, listen to what religion says. When religion enters the presence of Jesus, Pharisees always represented religion. When they entered the presence of Jesus, these elders entered the presence of Jesus, they said he is worthy, he loves, and he's the one who built the church. Does that sound kind of off? Because truly, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who God so loved the world, who Jesus is the only one worthy, and Jesus is the one who said, I will build my church. And most of us enter in through the entry point of religion, and religion says this. We walk in the presence of God. We're worthy. Religion says, God, we love you so much. Religion walks in and says, God, look at all this great stuff we've done. The church is growing. We're doing awesome. Oh, that's not the way you enter into the presence of the king. That's not the way you enter in to the presence of God. So the Pharisees try to make this entry, I call it a cannonball entry, where they come, try to make a big splash, declaring how worthy this man is, not knowing that they are talking to the Lamb of God himself, the Son of God. Anybody who should be worthy is this man here, not this man over here who's doing good works. In your life this morning, how are you entering into the presence of God? Many people miss the movement of God in their life because we come in trying to do the cannonball big-time splash, declaring how worthy we are, how much we love, and how great the things we've done for the king. And Jesus looked at them and said, I'm going to go with you, not on the account of you, but to hear about this man who did all these things who's not even a believer. And so Jesus begins to follow them, And as he's approaching the house, that's when his servants come out. A lot of people, we go before the presence of God, and we get in the presence of God, and God, you should do this for me because, because I believe in Jesus, God, you should do this. Well, shouldn't it be a little bit different, phrase different? God, because you gave Jesus and paid this price, and I believe in you, I'm asking you to move on my behalf. Uh, th- th- there's a whole difference. Or how many of y'all ever said this? God, if you get me out of this situation, I promise I will never do this again. <laughs> okay, don't raise your hand, really. No, you don't have to. We can all relate to some of these scenarios. So God, if you would just please rescue me now, I'll never do this again. We enter the presence of God like that. And I believe God does an amazing work in the church and in the body of Christ, not because we're so worthy, not because we've done so much, and not because we've built such great churches, but because through this avenue here he knows lost people are still coming to the kingdom of God that he can still perform his powers of healing that he can still do the miracle signs and wonders that he's always done so it's not so much because we're doing so great that God moves it's because we're sitting here and we if we humbly go before God he'll begin to move like we've never experienced So this morning, when we come to the altar here in just a minute, I want to ask you, how did you enter into the presence of God this morning? But more than that, how will you enter into the presence of God at the end of this service? And maybe we just need to repent of how we've entered the presence of God. Not because we're so worthy or because we love so much or because we did so much great things, but because he did it, because he did it, because he did it. Now let's talk about the centurion entry. The centurion entry is one of the two proper ways. And we'll start with the Matthew version of the centurion entry. And it said, when he had entered Capernaum, the Centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, My Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering horribly. And he said to him, I will come heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word. Everybody say, Just say the word. And my servant will be healed, for I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes, and the other come and he comes. And to to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. You know, I shudder to think I have ever done anything to make Jesus marvel at my faith. I believe the only thing Jesus ever marveled at Joel T. Meyer for doing was this. Jesus, I'm just receiving you with all my heart, because that's the greatest step of faith I've ever taken. Well, what about the church? Receiving Christ is the greatest step of faith you'll ever take, because none of it is accessible, none of what he did is, is, is done by anything you can do except simply believing by faith. It's pure faith. Well, you, you stepped out and you started the church and Damon took a step of faith and Jeff and Amy did and, and the staff is taking steps of faith with you. And I'm like, yeah, but receiving Christ is the only pure step of faith that we can make a lot of times. Because a lot of times when you get in taking other steps of faith, you've thought about if it doesn't work out, I can always do this. If it doesn't happen the way I'm thinking it should go, um, well, I can always fall back on my college education, and I can just go back to the workforce. Receiving Christ is pure faith, and it's by grace alone that you're born again and saved. And so today I pray that you'll get back to that first time, your first love, where you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, and get back into that kind of faith, and let Jesus begin to marvel and show you what marvels. Listen to how this, this entry goes. The centurion, he walked up to Jesus, and the first thing he did was say this. He said, Lord. Did you catch that? He said, Lord. Did he say, Lord, or did he do, Lord? He did both. Lord, the elders that we previously read on the entry came to Jesus and said, he is worthy, he is worthy, he is worthy. The actual centurion comes to Jesus and said, Lord, wow. Do we see the difference of the entry? When he stopped And declared Jesus Christ and said, Lord, he said one thing. He said, I submit to your authority. Whatever you say from this point on is good. If you don't come heal it, it's good. If you do come heal him, it's good. I'm not worthy of any of it. You're Lord, I'm not. Here's my staff that shows my authority. Here's my helmet, I take it off. Lord, he knelt down and said, Lord, Jesus was taken by this. He was taken by this action, and Jesus' response was quick. Jesus' response was, I'll come heal him, you know? He said, I got a servant sick, suffering terrible. Lord, Jesus said, let's go, I'm going to heal him. The servant never asked, if it be thy will. He never questioned the power of Jesus. The one thing that made Jesus react was his submission to Jesus' authority, declaring Jesus is now Lord of not just him, but him and everyone else. He's over. Do you know what Jesus could have done? Could have done at that point, he said, Centurion, get your soldiers and come with me. You know what the centurion would have done? Hundred of you guys, come on, let's go. Rise up, stand in formation. He's about to speak. Do you realize what just happened when he knelt and said, Lord? Didn't just say, Lord, did Lord? Christ had access to all the power he could have ever needed, and so he goes with the centurion and healed his son. I want to ask you. How many times have you been desperate for a powerful movement of God in your life and haven't seen it? A lot of times it's because we'll say Lord, but we don't do Lord. And you know what, I I believe Jesus would rather see this than us to say Lord and say, I'm worthy, I love you so much, here's all the great stuff I've done. The centurion marveled Jesus with his faith. The centurion understood true authority because he said one goes and goes, and the other comes and he comes. And so Jesus went with him and spoke the word and healed his son. Now let's talk about the second account, the second entry that it's talking about, the second centurion entry, entry number two. And the Bible says that in verse 1 of Luke, it says, chapter 7, verse 1, and after he had finished all these sayings and hearing of all the people he entered Capernaum, and now a centurion who had a servant who was sick at the point of death, who was highly valued, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come heal his son. When Jesus was not far off from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. And we know how the rest of the account goes. Jesus marveled at his faith. The servant was healed. Well, what's this entry got to do with it? The account in Luke says elders and friends went on behalf of the centurions. Elders, actual, the word is presbyteros or overseer. It is the word presbyteros or overseer. Now, this is important because if you were a non-Jew, the only way you could get into the presence of God was access through the elders, overseers, or the, the priesthood that was in place. The man knew how to approach authority. The centurion says, I'm not Jewish. I'm, not, I'm a Roman soldier. I have no Jewish heritage, no Jewish roots. I have no right to come before their God. But I do know how to get access to their God. So I'm going to go by the standard of authority. So he said, I'm going to send the elders to go speak on the behalf of the man of God who's walking in. Because even the the, the Pharisees regarded him as a prophet. And prophets heard from God. So when he said, go to the elders. And he went to the elders. And the elders went to Jesus. He was taking proper access and going through proper authority to get into the presence of God Almighty. The Bible says that when Jesus died, the veil was torn from top to bottom and there was access for everyone to come into the presence of God Almighty and all the church said, oh yeah. And so now that everybody can come into the presence of God Almighty, you can all come, but how are you entering? With praise and thanksgiving and worship or the way the Pharisees did or the way the centurion did through proper channels. Jesus is not far from the centurion's house. The centurion sees Jesus coming the Bible says he sends out friends. The actual term, when you look this up in, in, the, in the Greek, it means this. It means associates. We know the Roman centurion had 100 people under him. You know out of 100 people under you, you got your top three to five folks, right? That will discharge your orders to everybody else. So those associates, this top people who are definitely with him, with this servant who the Bible says was highly valued, and this highly valued servant was about to die. He's going to stay here with the servant. The centurions. Uh, the, Jesus is coming. The centurion sends out five of his, it's not five, I just say five, sends out his associates to Jesus. And when he sends them out to Jesus, Jesus stops and he said, listen, now listen to the phraseology of this. This is key right here. Not only did the centurion understand authority, but the people under him understood authority. Listen to how they speak. As Jesus was approaching, he sent out his associates, the ones under his authority. And Jesus met with them when he was not far from the house. And the centurion sent his friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. Listen, the associates said this, for I am not worthy. The associates were speaking as if they were the centurion himself. The associates go on to say, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too notice in American culture we don't do that. In the American culture, if I was speaking on behalf of you, it's like, hey, um, listen, bro, Damon said, Damon said, Damon said. Damon said. But if I'm under Damon's authority and Damon said, Go speak for me, I can say this. I'm telling you, and as a person knows, Damon said it. I'm just the middleman. They understood authority so much that when the centurion said it, they were walking in the power of the centurion himself. So now get this the centurion understood authority so much that the centurion sent proper access to the elders. The elders went to Jesus, God, Jesus coming, so the presence of God is coming. The centurion knows, I'm not worthy to have God come into my house. Everybody said, Amen. The only reason you're worthy is the blood of Jesus, for God to do anything in your life. And so we're not worthy, so I'm going to send out my associates, and they're going to speak just like they're the centurion. And Jesus again marveled and said, I have not found such great faith. I believe he is more saying, I have not found somebody who has understood authority so properly. And the Bible says he spoke the word, and when the, by the time the friends returned, they were actually healed. Here's where we're going to dive deeper. As we dive deeper this morning, the centurion did not get to the rank he was by rebelling but by understanding authority. The whole point of this miracle and the deeper level of understanding is the level of authority that God wants us to walk in. When authority is understood, Christ has freedom to move. Listen to this. Authority understands proper approach to God. I know we're called friends of God. I know we're called sons of God. But the way American sons approach their father is not the way that biblical sons approach biblical fathers. And so, when you approach God the Father, I want you to approach Him through the proper channels, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the blood that forgave you of your sins. And as you begin to wash through the water of the Word of God, you can enter the holy place of God Almighty, where the table of showbread of the bread of Jesus sits, where the where the lampstand is over here, where the light of God is shining, where the altar of incense is here, where you begin to pray and offer up prayers before God the Father, and then the curtain begins to open, and you can walk into the very presence of God Himself because you've been forgiven. You. you've You've been washed. You've been with the bread of life. You've been illuminated by the word of God. You've offered your prayers to God. And now you're into the place where God can speak to you all by himself. You and him alone. The proper channels of going before God Almighty. And that's how we should enter a worship service every time we enter. Authority understands submission or the ability to recognize who you are in authority under. A lot of people in the United States of America have a big issue with authority. I'll give you one great example. I'll say Four words. <laughs> President of the United States. United States, one word. Five words. <laughs> President of the United States. I say that word in Texas, most people cringe. We cringe, and here's why because we don't like authority, we don't understand authority, we don't want to respect him because we disagree with him. We're wrong. It says to honor those who are in authority. I don't got to like what he does, but I'm going to honor the position and pray for the man in it. We hate authority in America. We love it as long as it's going our way, but as soon as it doesn't, we rebel against it. Now listen, the Bible, we can't be that way. And if we can't be that way towards God, we can't be that way towards the offices God has set up. We continue to say, one nation under God. But yet we rebel against the office God set up and the man God put in it. God didn't put that man in there. You voted him in and you say you're a believer. I didn't vote for him. America as a whole didn't. We're one nation under him. I'll argue you all day. The problem is the church doesn't pray and honor the offices God has put in place because we don't know how to approach God himself. It's time that we begin to honor God in a way wanting to be honored. Authority enables you to go, do, and live in confidence. The associates spoke as if they were the centurion themselves. How many of you have ever spoke as if you were Jesus himself? I mean, dude, that's a big statement. There are very seldom times that I've ever spoke with such confidence as if Jesus himself. That I know, be I known, be I known. And I'll give you an example. Well, Pastor, you preach every Sunday morning. Yeah, but what I just said about the president, I knew I'd make 99% of y'all mad. And I was worried about saying it. That's not speaking with the confidence of Jesus. Jesus gave a blood discourse that says, Eat my body, drink my blood. Several of the people left. He looked at the 12 and says, What, you gonna leave too? I don't care. I may speak boldly, but I don't speak with that confidence. But when you understand authority, you'll go do and live in a confidence that you've never had before. Where authority is understood, power is operated in. The church is powerless in a lot of ways today because we don't operate under authority. Under the authority of God, under the God-ordained authority in the churches, under the authority of the people we work under physically in the workplace. How many of y'all have ever had a horrible boss? You've had a horrible boss. And you honored him to his face, but you went home and cursed him to your husband or your wife we got to start understanding authority. I'll never forget, I asked my dad one time, Dad, why don't you just quit that current job that you were in at that time? Why don't you just quit and go find something else? And his answer me this. He answered me like this, and he said, I'm going to honor where God's got me. And I said, but Dad, he's not a godly man. He's not a believing person. He said, did you ever know that God may have set that whole company up just to employ me at this one point in my life? So I'm going to honor the place God has me. That changed my life changed my life when he told me that because he understood authority that I didn't understand at the time. That changed my life. I'm going to end with this. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go there and make disciples of all nations, you baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus declared this. Jesus declared this. He said, you go as if you were me In my name, and you do the baptizing, you do the discipling, you do the raising of the dead, you do the healing of the sick in Mark chapter 16, you do all these things as if you were me because you now understand authority. Ooh, that ought to make the church go flat out into revival because just as the associates spoke as if they were centurion, Jesus said, you go and speak as if you're me because my spirit lives on the inside of you because my spirit has been placed on the inside of you as a deposit guaranteeing your salvation. He went on to say, go and speak as if you're me because I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Come on now, give God a hand clap of praise on that. He's not just going to let us do baptizing. God's going to baptize us. Christ is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then he said, you will speak in new tongues. (laughs) He said you're going to do it. And so that's how you know the Spirit of God is speaking. I believe in prayer language. I believe in the gift of tongues and miracles. But I also believe in this, that when you get born again, the first language that's going to change is the unbelief coming out of your mouth to words of belief. So it's not just talking about prayer language and gift of interpretation and miracles taking place. It's also talking about always saying, I'm so worried, I'm so sick, I'm so tired, I'm so poor. Jesus is saying, shut your mouth because you're not me speaking right now. I didn't tell you to say that. You're not an authority. In <laughs> fact, you're in rebellion. I want you to have a proper entry into the presence of God. Why? Because when you have a proper entry into the presence of God... You'll begin to walk in an authority that you've never walked in. And you will never walk in power until you first walk in authority.